You're listening to another message from Generation City Church. This morning I want to speak on the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. And I want to look at the Ten Commandments from a different point of view. And I'd like you to turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5, and I I just want to read a couple of verses, not the Ten Commandments as such. We will look at them later on. But I'd like us to look at the blessings or God's directions concerning the Ten Commandments. And in uh, chapter 5, verse 29, we read, Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep all my commandments, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. And so God, after giving the Ten Commandments, now tells us the blessings that come out of following these commandments and in verse 32 therefore you shall be careful to do as the Lord your God has commanded you you shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left you shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God has commanded you that you may live that you may that it may be well with you and that you may prolong your days in the land which you shall possess. And so God goes out of his way to tell us, you need to follow these directions, because they will bless your life here on earth. I've been somewhat concerned that I'm lagging behind in computer preaching Um, you know Pastor Marty uses his iPad others use their iPad the song leaders use iPads Pastor Arden Burrell comes with his new iPad and just uses it so well and here I am lagging behind using the same methods that the Apostle Paul and the Apostles used. (laughs) But, but I have availed myself of modern technology. They had a kind of quill and ink. They used vellum skin from animals. I use a biro and paper. Now, I don't know how many of you remember the old days at school in the 50s. When you were in primary school, you had inkwells. Okay, some of you might remember those good days. And uh, the inkwells were filled, you had nibs. And the most important piece of stationery was the blotter. Was the blotter. And the blotter enabled you to make all sorts of patterns as you put ink all over the place and you mastered penmanship in terms of artwork with the blotter. 
And then, of course, you came home, ink all over your face, over your hands, over your clothes, to deal with what your mother had to say about your behaviour. And then when I got into high school, they just began to use the cartridge pens, you know, with the cartridge ink. You know, you had fountain pens, of course, with the ink and the cartridge pens and you'd go and buy a pen with six cartridges and you'd write. And then finally, this is going back in the mid-50s or a bit later, but probably late 50s, the biro. The biro came in existence. It was invented. And at first it was so expensive that I couldn't afford one and you longed to have a biro. You longed to have a biro. And so even though I'm not in any way kind of using the iPad this morning, I am using the modern invention of the biro and paper made from trees. But not to be left behind, I'm going to take a term out of computer usage and software and bring it into our Christian vocabulary. I'm going to take a word that's probably become very prominent with computers. It's the word default. It's the word default. And those of you that understand computer programming and software, a program has a certain direction, certain parameters, certain definition, and that's the way it goes. Now, occasionally in that program, you might be able to change the font, have larger writing, smaller writing. You can make some changes, but when you turn the program off and it comes on again, those changes have gone and the program defaults back to what it originally was. So I think most of us would understand that to a degree. And so the default is a mechanism that brings the software program back to its original state to do what it was intended to do. And I want to take this uh, term uh, of default that we use so much in computers and uh, I want to look at it in the process of salvation, in the process of what God is doing within our lives. I remember in some of the Crusades, we would have to learn verses concerning assurance of salvation. Now, how can we be sure we're saved? And there are some wonderful verses that tell us, doesn't matter what you feel like, you know, talk about the certainty of salvation. But I want to direct you this morning that one of the greatest evidences that God has saved you and the work of God is going on in your life is God's default program. That even when you mess up, even when you fail, even when you miss the mark, 
the Spirit of God brings you back by default to what you were originally created for. And what God has in store for you and what God wants to do in your life. We never doubt our salvation when we're on fire for God. We never doubt our salvation when we're serving with intensity. But when we slip away and we disappoint ourselves with the way our behavior has gone. There come moments in our life and we wonder, God, are we really saved? This is not the behavior of a son or a daughter of God. God, am I really saved? And it's so wonderful that God, in the process of our circumstances, will bring us back by the conviction of the Spirit, the direction of God will bring us back to that place where once again we're on fire for God, we're serving God, we're loving God. You see, that's the default. I remember when I was at Bible College, uh, Pastor Henry Wiggins, uh, not the, and that sounds a little bit like someone from a movie, but uh, he was an English uh, a pastor and uh, he was probably nearly my age. And he was retired. He was on the executive in England. And uh, I loved his ministry. And, uh, you know, I would sit and just be in awe. Him and Pastor Averill, he was the pastor of Glad Tidings Tabernacle, which was probably the biggest church there. You see, I was saved in a Slavic church. And most of the preaching was in Polish or most of it was in Russian. And my understanding of Russian was probably about 5%, Polish maybe 80%. And so preaching didn't always hit the mark for me because we'd be there and it was a different language. And when I went to Bible college, you know, it opened a new world. What someone can do with the Word of God, how they can break it and, and feed. And Pastor Wiggins, he taught us soteriology. He taught us uh, about salvation. And he always had this story that many of you probably have heard to, to talk about the old nature. It was a story about the pig. Now, I think he had a name, and I've forgotten the name, but I don't want to call it Peppa Pig because I'll have a revolt with the toddlers if it's Peppa Pig. But he would tell us the story to illustrate the fallen human nature, and he'd talk about a person that, that believed he could change a pig, the nature of a pig. It's interesting, in, in the Bible, pigs are looked down upon when we were in Papua New Guinea, uh, the dynamic was totally different and pigs were revered. They were a sign of wealth. Uh, they lived within the huts. They were very, very poor, important to the economy and the life of the village. And so the translators allowed themselves the privilege of a dynamic shift. And where you have the story of the prodigal son, uh, not, you don't have pigs, but you have dogs, right? In the pigeon translation it's referring to dogs but the dynamic message is the same and this person believed that he could domesticate a pig this was before 
you know, I'm going back how many years? 50 years since I was at Bible college. And, you know, they didn't have pet pigs like, you know, we've had in recent years. And this person believed. And so he got a pig and he brought it within the home. He locked. He, 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 he had the pig uh, bathed uh, every day. Nails were manicured. Uh, whiskers were trimmed. It was dressed. It had its own uh, dish to eat. And it slept within the home on a cushion. And visitors would come and they'd be rather amazed that the success he had with this pig. That the pig now was acting more like a human all the time. And this went on for some weeks and then uh, one day he left the door open, the back door open. And uh, it had rained for a couple of weeks and in the backyard you had mud pools, almost cesspools. And the pig saw that the door was open and bolted out the door, found the biggest, muddiest pool, rolled in that pool and grunted in great delight. You see, its genetic default was not to be human. Its genetic default was to behave like it did. And you know, our human nature before salvation's exactly like that. We can, ten, we can attend good behavior schools. Uh, we can attend uh, how to overcome uh, uh, bad habits. And you can attend as many colleges and schools to better yourself. It will not change your nature. Only God can do that. Your nature cannot be changed. And so what happens? We go to all these schools and then suddenly things seem to go right for a while and then the door's opened. And we dive into the cesspool and roll around in delight because that's the bent of our life before, sorry, before we were saved. That's, that's the bent. But when we're saved and we come into God's kingdom, the bent of our life becomes to serve God. To love God. And the dynamics totally changed. And the Bible says that when we're born again, everything changes. The bent of our life now is directed to please God. And in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The default of our life once we're saved is now loving God's word. It's wanting to worship God. It's living a pure life. It's serving God. It's enjoying the house of God. It's giving to the work of God. It's loving God's family. It's spending time with God in prayer. It's being led of the Lord. It's enjoying the preaching of the word. And I could go on listing the things that we enjoy because of our salvation. And the default of our life is going back to that place where God is everything to us. No matter how much you mess up, no matter if your life slips back, to its old ways for a moment temporarily. God's default by the Holy Spirit 
begins to work and brings us back to what God intended for our lives and how we should live. I remember when I was 13 and we were going to church and the pair of trousers I had had to be patched and repaired on the rear. Now, for an adolescent in the late 50s to have trousers that were patched, you know, to me, it was like having a neon sign on my rear saying, look at this, there's a patch, there's a repair, there's a repair. And, uh, you know, we didn't have trouser shops in those days, Pastor Margot, where you could get fitted into, uh, you know, you're a 34 and you could get fitted into a 32. We didn't have those. We didn't have those salesmen like that that could do that. And, of course, you, you, you didn't have all the clothing shops. You had Dodds and some of the clothing in those days you put on time payment. They were different days. And here... On Sunday, there's no way I would go to church as a 13-year-old, as an adolescent, with patches. You know, a repair in my trousers. And so, of course, there was a bit of an uproar. I refused to go. Mum and Dad went in our 1952 Holden, and I stayed at home. Up to that moment, I'd never missed the service. And the Spirit of God began to work. The default began to work and I began to feel bad. And I thought, no, it's wrong of me. So I caught a bus, went to, was it Cardiff South? And then I walked for about two and a half miles to get to church late with patched trousers. Why? The default of God. I, I needed to be in the house of God. I should have kept those trousers, sell them on eBay. People, young people seem to love patched trousers. And, you know, you could make, you know, should have kept some of those things. But I didn't. But I didn't. And, you know, I'm sure that every one of us would have stories like that, where the conviction of God, the word of God, the processes of God bring us back to default they get us out of where we shouldn't be and bring us into where we should be you know every time i've failed god i've longed to come back and enjoy god that's inbuilt within the christian life i found through my life pastor marty that the distance between the pew and the pulpit is paper thin we're not different. The difference is paper thin. It's just that we're in God's word every day. And we've got to make it work that we might lead the people of God. But we too need the default of God to bring us back to that place where God wants us to come. We overcome our weaknesses and challenges because uh, as ministers we spend time in God's word and we have to. Sunday doesn't matter what happened. Maybe we've had a tiff. We fell. It doesn't matter. But Sunday morning we've got to be right to minister God's word. 
Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I'm so glad of God's default on my life. I'm never happier than when I'm close to God. In my experience of wilderness that somehow uh, I was brought into, I missed, I missed the fellowship, I missed serving God. You miss that because that's your life. That's what salvation does. And now I want to come to the Ten Commandments. The word commandments sometimes is somewhat harsh. They weren't called the Ten Commandments. They were called the Ten Sayings, the Words, the Decalogue. Later on, we uh, attach the word uh, commandments and we refer to them as commandments. And the Ten Commandments, I want to tell you this morning, are the Ten Blessings. Are the Ten Blessings. And whether you like it or not, God in salvation has programmed your life by the power of the Spirit to follow His ways. The Ten Commandments. In the Old Testament, the great gift that Israel, the Jewish nation, gave to the world was the Ten Commandments, the two tablets of stone. Not only for their well-being, for the well-being of the world, the Ten Commandments came through God's people and were the greatest gift that God gave in the Old Testament to the entire world. In the New Testament, the greatest gift that the Jewish race gave to the world was the Saviour. Jesus was born through Israel, through God's plans and purposes, where the Ten Commandments told the world how to live. Jesus gave them the power to live. And so we're indebted to the Jewish race for all that we enjoy today. 1 John 5, 3 says, For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And listen, and his commandments are not burdensome. Isn't that a wonderful phrase? Burdensome. They're not harsh. They're not hard. They're a blessing. They're to our advantage. They will bless our lives. The Ten Commandments are really not part of the law. And you know where we have the herald cry that we're not under law but we're under grace. The Ten Commandments don't fit into the law. Some of the commandments be, in their extension became parts of the law. You know where you have uh, a lot more information on the Sabbath and what you can do. And, but... The Ten Commandments in their purity have nothing. We're never in a situation where we're not under God's will for us to live as he revealed in the Ten Commandments. They are God's pathway to blessing and God's direction for our lives. God will always bring us back to them by default in our lives as we live for him. 
The Ten Commandments are the ten monumental blessings to life here on earth. And you know, God went out of his way. We, we nearly didn't get them. If you remember my last sermon, which you probably don't, but you know, we talked about Moses and you know, Moses came down with the law, the t- two tablets of stone. The, the, while God was writing the law, the children of Israel were disobeying and in anger he threw them down. And then later God tried to get his attention and he, he didn't want to go up in the mountain. And God made all sorts of promises, and the promises were not enough. And Moses said, if you show me your glory, he had to have an encounter with God. And out of that encounter, and God went out of his way, God gave him what possibly he had to manipulate at that particular time for Moses to be able to, in the state he was, to to take in the glory of God. Because God wanted those Ten Commandments to come and bless the creation that he had made. We're going to look at them very quickly. First one says, you shall have no other gods before me. Why would you want any other gods? When you study world religions and you study the cruelty and you study what the other gods are like. And you look at the revelation we have in the word of God, of God's love and God's kindness and God's mercy. Why do you want other gods? I was reading about a convention they had in India. And uh, in this convention, people were coming to the false gods and hopefully uh, their prayers would be answered and the gods would accept them. and, and, And some of the Indian mystics and Indian people came. Some of them rolled for 20 miles, hopefully uh, satisfying the gods with their commitment. Others had their hand in the air and they hadn't put it down for years. And the hand had withered that somehow the gods would favor this. And answer their needs. Others had their leg tied uh, uh, in a horizontal position. And and they lived like that for years. And they came with their cane to to the gods that they worship. Why would we want any other gods? First commandment. Is easy. We want the God that's revealed Himself to us. We want the God of the Bible. We want the God that saved us. We want the God that meets our every need. What an easy commandment. What a blessing to follow that commandment. The second commandment says, You shall not make for yourself any carved image or any likeness of anything. And so the commandment said, now, that the, the whole basis of idolatry is that, that you have a man-made God of stone or timber or, or metal, and you come and you bring gifts to that God and you show allegiance and you show some worship, and then you leave that God and do as you please because the God can't follow you. He stays in the temple. He's powerless to move. 
It's only those few moments when you're in the presence of the idol. Why do we want to make a graven image when our God promises to, to, to love us and never forsake us and always be there? We know that our God, it's not only when we come and worship God as we have that we've met with him. When we go home, our God is there. Our God is available. And so the second commandment is, is a blessing to follow. We don't want any graven images. We want a God that's real and alive and loves us and is with us and in every need meets us. Amen? Amen. The third commandment is you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The greatness of God's name, the highness of his name, that Within the name of God, you've got the revelation of God. There can be no flippancy. There can be no, no humor that's derogatory when it comes to the name of God. And, you know, when Jesus said, in my name, you will do these things, what he's saying is that when you, when you go ahead and you pray this way and you make statements this way it's as though in my name it's as though Christ said that it's as though God said that to bring it to pass and the name of God is lofty and high and we reverence his name and the commandments easy to follow yes amen we 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 want to honor the name of God what a wonderful command. We don't want to take the name of the Lord in vain. But we revere it. We respect it. We love it. We worship it. It's a blessing to our lives. The fourth commandment says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And God says that I followed this rule myself. In six days, I created the world. And on the seventh, I rested. And so we have God's command, God's direction here. That, that we need one day in seven. We need to set aside for rest and contemplation. And, and the command begins with remember. It's so easy to forget in the busyness of life that our human bodies need rest. And they need to, to, to have time set aside to contemplate on God's blessing and what God's doing and how we can bless the world and our family. Now, it may not be possible, of course, and the Sabbath in terms of Saturday is not the issue here. You know, in the New Testament, we find Sunday seems to take the place. But whatever it is, the principle of the Sabbath, if you obey it, you will be blessed. It's one that we need to follow. There's tremendous benefit physically, spiritually, mentally to keeping the Sabbath. One day in seven, we must rest. If we don't, we will pay the consequences. And usually that's ill health. Number five says, honor your father and your mother. And this commandment assures us of a blessed family life 
at its highest level. You know, this commandment was so important to God. It was the foundation of what God had set aside for family, that parents need to be honored and respected and revered. And God makes a wonderful promise. He associates not only are you blessed from a wonderful family, but you'll be blessed with long life. Amen. You know, we take our vitamins and, you know, we watch all sorts of programs to try to extend our life. And God said, honor your father and your mother and your days. And as they get older, the honor and the respect should increase. Is that burdensome? No, it's something we want to do. The commandments bless our ability to live, live life at its highest. And then the sixth one I shouldn't really need to say much about. You shall not murder. You know, if any of you with teenage children have a problem, <laughs> you need to see Pastor Marty and get some serious counseling. But you know, to, to, be, to be in a state where you can control your feelings, your anger, your emotions, to be in a place where you love, to be in a place where you never want to harm anyone else, I want to tell you that's a blessed life. Amen? That's the way we want to live. And so we don't, you know, so we're never ever in a situation where we want to harm someone. To live in such harmony with our fellow human beings that love prevails is a wonderful blessing. To have under our control emotions of violence and harm is to live life as God intended it. Number seven, you shall not commit adultery. In my years of ministry, some 35 years, of ministry, I have never ever seen any good that comes out of adultery. Never. Never. It's, it's the devil's, you know, enticement that promises much but delivers harm. There's a high price to the low life. And all I've seen out of Adultery, broken homes, broken marriages, children now that are separated. Praise God that the bent of our lives and the default of our lives, this command is, is one of the greatest blessings we can have because our focus and our love's upon our partner, it's upon our children. We love our wife, we love our husband, we don't want to go down the path of the world and, and, the, and the way the devil has so many people going. No good will ever come out of adultery, it never has. We want to be so in love with our spouses to protect the blessings of the family that God has given us. Quickly, number eight, you shall not steal, directs us to a life of hard work and industry. God blesses it as we give and support the work of God. And you know, 
if you don't do anything wrong, you never have any problems with the law. You know, most of us, when we're kind of pulled up by the police, <laughs> a lot of thoughts go through, what have I done wrong? And if you don't do anything wrong, you've got, you've got no problems. You've got no problems. What a, what a wonderful way to live. You don't have to pay for solicitors. You know, I've, I've learned that to go to court... The solicitors are the only ones that make money. You just lose, you know what I mean? To be law-abiding, to be content with what we earn and what we're able to prove, it's a blessing. There's no burden here. I want to do it, don't you? This is the way we want to live. This is the way God has geared us to live. The Ten Commandments, the Ten Blessings. And then number nine says... You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Talks about honesty and truthfulness, harmony and peace with all men. What a wonderful way to live. And then finally, number 10, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. And then it goes on to a lot of the other things. Nor anything that is your neighbor's. It's talking about contentment. It's talking about being satisfied with what you have and what God has given us. And contentment and godliness, the Bible says, is great gain. Amen? That's where true riches are. So the commandments of God, I suggest, are the blessings of God. And those commandments are in us to follow. And when we don't you'll find God's default will bring us to a place through preaching, through conviction, whatever way God will use to bring us to that place that he wants us. The default of God. You know, in Psalm 119, verse 32, uh, it says, I will run the way of your commandments. And then the psalmist says in verse, 100, in verse 143, your commandments are my delight. And in verse 86, and with this verse I'm going to close, all your commandments are faithful. In other words, that whatever's promised, whatever God intends will come out of obeying them and following them. God will be faithful. Those blessings will be yours. So I know a bit about computers. I know what default means, and I've brought it into our Christian vocabulary, and I praise God for his default upon our lives. Amen. Amen. Amen.